I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. But we have been on the Sermon on the Mount um, for this whole year. Yeah, I know, three, three chapters, and we are just really milking them, right? How many of you realize sometimes we just go through the Bible sometimes too quickly, and we gloss over a lot of things? How many of y'all have really got something over the course of these weeks? I know I have. Um, and it may not be every week, but it, there's been something here and there. And even today, we're going to talk about a subject that I think the church at at large needs to hear because going back to the Facebook model that everybody sees, I see this so prevalent in the world around us. And I even had someone reach out to me this week uh, over the shooting in Nashville and ask uh, what I thought. So I want, I'll, I'll share that, that focus of that conversation a little bit as we begin to think about this. But in this Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus has done is attempting to establish a kingdom foundation, which if you go down to... Uh, this is not in today's sermon. It'll be here in a couple of weeks. But in chapter 7, 24, it says, Every then who, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is the foundation he was attempting to establish. Restore what he had given in the Old Testament, setting a table for those of us who don't have that initial invitation as a Jewish person to understand what currency is in the kingdom, what value is in the kingdom, how we can begin to build a space that is structurally strong and sound to do what he's called us to do. So that's what this whole sermon is for and the power of it. So in the midst of what we talked about last week, we talked about tithing, right? Anybody remember that sermon? Amen. Yeah, that's not the amen you get. I thought it only... And knowing what I know and knowing what you know about church, it was only fitting that we jump right into Luke 7, or 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Guess what? That's not a tithing sermon. How many of you have heard that scripture when you've been in church before, right before the offering plate's been passed? Man, you can raise a church fund with that joint. That coupled with an organ, and there's a key. There's a key of revival. I don't know what it is because I don't play an organ. But if you know, you know. It's like your mama's got that tone. When she hits it, you're listening. You know what I'm talking about. Daddy's got that tone. Daddy's, hey, come here. Come here. Hey, come here. God gets my attention like that sometimes. Hey, boy, come here. Come here. I'm sorry, God. The key of revival on that organ. You hit that, and then you go, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Who wants some money like that? The problem is, He ain't talking about money. He's already talked about money in the the scriptures, right? We just talked about that. He said, he just said, money's not your ruler. God will be. But then he changes it all of a sudden. Once he gets you not focused about yourself, he begins to talk about judgment. Because if you look in Luke 838, and you go back up in 37, I don't have this on the scriptures, but you're going to have to trust me. 
It says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. So now, because Luke has the, this is the Beatitudes Luke preached out of, but it's not as, does not have as much meat to it as Matthew has. But right before that, we've preached out of that the first couple of weeks. He talks about the Beatitudes and love your enemies. So along the same lines, Luke is preaching the same message, just an abridged version of it. So that piece right there that we see give and it will be given to you, we don't find it in Matthew's, but it is right there in the middle of the same sermon Matthew's about to demonstrate that Jesus preached. So in Matthew 7, Verse 1, we're going to read through verse 5 right here. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now you see the same terminology, right? You can't preach a tithing sermon out of this. Well, maybe you could. But it'd be a lot different. But he's talking about the measure of the things we give, we will get in return. It's not a quid pro quo. If you give this much offering, God's going to return it to you, shake down, throwing over all the things. No, it's positioning you to live your life differently. When you understand your value, as we talked about, when you understand the currency of heaven is faith and being a blessing, not just being blessed, then it positions you to operate differently for those around you. And he's establishing one thing right here about judgment. Don't do it. And this is, I think, the most misquoted scripture in the Bible when it comes to you can do whatever you want. Right? You get on Facebook, the first time somebody's doing something that's against this, somebody is going to put in your comments, the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. So you can't tell me what I'm doing wrong. I would say in that moment, you're right, and we're going to talk about why. Put a pin in that, too. We've got a couple of things we're going to get pins in, right? I just want to get your mind, because you see this all the time. And we've been wired a certain way to church for these certain scriptures to stand out. Why? Because the enemy uses them more than he uses any of the other ones. That's why this has become noise. Because the enemy's saying it just as loud as we are. The Bible says he knows it better than we do. That's what Jesus said. He said, the demons know me more than you do. That's why they respond to me when I walk in the room and you don't. Look at every interaction Jesus had with a demon. They recognized him. He didn't have to call them out. Whoa, 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 what are you here for? You ain't supposed to be here yet. Well, I am, and you can't stay. Gone. There was a response because they knew that the Lord of all just walked into the room. What if our response was the same way? That's another sermon. Let's get back. I'm going to start over again. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice that log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I want to, as you know about me, I like definitions. What Jesus is really trying to do is to shift a relationship here. He's trying to take it out of our hands, the ability to be a judge, based on our inability to be a judge. What's it take to be a judge? Today, if you go to a court of law, if you do something wrong today, you're going to get caught. Maybe you don't. But I think nowadays it is harder and harder to commit a crime, right? How many of y'all got ring doorbells? Man, you can't do anything anymore about... That's why there's not enough streakers anymore. Like, remember y'all were young and dumb and you went streaking? You didn't do that nowadays because everybody's got you on camera and there's a good chance you're going on Facebook. Sorry, this is just where my mind goes sometimes. Not thinking about any of y'all streaking. I'm just thanking the Lord that you aren't streaking. Anyways, you're going to get arrested and caught, and you're going to end up in a court of law. And there is somebody that's been deemed a judge who's going to hold you accountable and say whether you're guilty or not. What does those requirements for that judge? First, they need to know the law. 
That's why you're called to be a jury member and not a judge. Because you know enough to be dangerous, but you don't know everything. But a judge knows the law, should know it backwards and forwards, is not swayed by emotion. This is not this. I'm talking about what should be. Because everybody in here is like, well, I got a story about a judge. I don't want to hear those stories. I'm telling you what should be, because we're getting to a place where you're going to realize when it comes to what Jesus is talking about, ain't a one of us in here can judge the way Jesus judges. I'm removing this from you today. Your ability to judge. First, you've got to know the law backwards and forwards. You should be able to make every decision based on what that law says, not what you feel it says, not what your interpretation of it is, not what your buddy told you, not what your neighbor told you when you was cheating off his test in law school. That doesn't happen. My lawyer people, my... You got to know it. And then when that person comes before you, I'm going to make a decision on the information that I receive that I can evaluate, compare it to what the law says and deem you guilty or not guilty. And if I don't have enough evidence to tell me whether you have broken the law, you are automatically not guilty. Not guilty because that's the way this country's worked in some ways. You're innocent until proven guilty, right? If I can't prove that you're guilty, connected to the law, then you're innocent. Whether you did it or not, it is up to the law to prove that you're guilty. Okay, when it comes to this word, you'll never know it good enough. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, I'm sending you the spirit of truth who will lead you into all truth. If you're still being led into truth, guess what? You don't know all truth. And you'll never know all truth till you step into heaven and you finally get the body that you're supposed to have and the understanding that you're supposed to have and you're going to be in the presence of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and you're going to know what he knows and instantly you'll know that word better than you ever thought you did. So then, if we don't know all truth, how can we hold people accountable for all truth? I'm not saying that you don't have, that's the word I want you to hold on to is accountable. Because I'm going to separate judgment and accountability today. Because we are doing one thing really well against people who don't understand it. And we are not doing the other one very well with people we should be doing it for. Y'all with me? So here's some definitions. Judge. Judge is to form an opinion or conclusion about. Yes, a judge is forming an opinion. It's an educated opinion. It's an opinion based on what they know, but it's still an opinion. Why? Because that judge is determining whether you're guilty on what they know. Okay? And at the end of the day, we're trusting that they know what they know. We're trusting that they're doing it right. But at the end of the day, it's still an opinion. No matter how educated it is, it's an opinion. Or conclusion about. It is a final statement. The moment you place a judgment on somebody, it is a, a final statement. You are guilty, you're going to jail. Judge, one who gives an authoritative opinion. And here's another one, to govern slash rule used of a Hebrew tribal leader. So Jesus is also talking to this. If you go back, there is a whole letters of, of, of a book of judges that talks about people like Samson people who ruled over their tribes in those moments in that season where there wasn't a king. But they were judges. Why? Because they knew the law and they held people accountable. So there was some rule and authority that they were given because of this knowledge. Something was going on in the camp, they brought it to this person and they made a decision on everyday life, not just laws and breaking them, but on decisions that affected the community. There was a certain government rule that begin to fall under this judge mentality. So Jesus is also talking to a group of people. Remember, he's talking to Jewish people who have experienced a time of judges. So judge is so much bigger than what we even think it. There is a government or an established authority that comes with that. And realistically, we're the same way. So a judge has the ability to do this, to convict 
which is to find or prove to be guilty, but also the ability to condemn. When a judge decides you've done something wrong, they are condemning you to prison in hopes that it fixes you. But y'all realize today's judicial system and the, the jails that we have and the system we have, there's really no hope for For many of these people, you're stuck into a system that is not really designed to help you. Only those who have a desire to help themselves or get connected with somebody who says, this is not your end, has the ability to walk out reformed and to change their life. But it's not the way it really is. Condemn is to declare to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil, usually after weighing evidence and without reservation. I want to I sit on that for a little bit because now as we talk about judging, how many of you have witnessed Facebook, have witnessed even in church, have witnessed moments where Christians, there sounds like this. If you had one or two, would you say that a lot of the statements we hear within the church are to find or to prove to be guilty or to declare to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil, usually after weighing evidence and without reservation. That would be the purpose of our judgment in a lot of things that we see. So this is why Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Because I know you're coming in with emotion based on what you've seen or experienced. I know you're coming with the information that you have, but I can assure you it's never going to be enough. And Jesus is talking to a group of people, the Jewish people that over the Old Testament have continuously fallen short in this area. There's only one group of people that Jesus ever really came with a condemning voice. And that was the people who were using his name in vain. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the judges of that day, if you will, the ones who should have known better and were falling short. So he's speaking to a group of people who says, your judges have failed you, so why would I trust you to judge anyone? So he begins to shift this from an authority, a government place, to a relationship place. Judge not lest you, not be, lest you be judged. In other words, I don't need you to be judged. Let me take that off your plate. But I do need you to be something. So then, right in that place, in the scripture, he shifts it from judgment To the next statement, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? So we see a shift in authority to relationship. I need to get you beside them, not on top of them. Because that shifts how you see them. When you're looking down at them, it's easy to see what's wrong compared to your right. It is The epitome of what sin was. The moment, we talked about this, the moment Adam and Eve took the fruit, what's the first thing that crept into their mind? They looked down, saw they were naked, and they were ashamed. I am convinced that that is the moment that comparison crept into the earth. Adam compared himself to Eve. Eve compared herself to Adam. There was shame because there was differences. They didn't notice the difference before then. Why? Because they celebrated who they were. In that moment, now there was a comparison to who they weren't. And that was the moment sin came into the world. Now we're doing everything we can to be, not be who we're not, or to be who we're not, really. We're chasing that. We're not walking in our identity of who we are. We want nothing more to run away than who we are. I don't want to be this. I want to be something else. I don't want to look like this. I want to look like that. Just this week, We see the shooting that occurred in Nashville, and you can get on whatever side of the fence you want. We see a a young person who is struggling in identity. And we see a culture and a community that was rejecting that. Even in their own home, we're talking about this, this young lady who was trying to be in the opposite gender, and her parents, being very Christian, rejected that. And there was a there was a thing that was occurring in the home which generated this space where somebody out of a lack of identity, a struggle in who they were, began to have an emotional response to a group of people that didn't think like them, act like them, sound like them. 
I had a friend of mine reach out this week and he said, I need to know something. He said, why aren't more Christian influencers getting verbal about this attack on Christianity? He said, because that's what it is. I said, I can only tell you what God's revealed to me. I said, more noise does not make an answer. I said, what would Jesus do? The epitome of Christianity. When he was attacked, Peter took his sword out, cut the man's ear off. Jesus picked the ear up, healed it, and said, that's not how we're going to do this thing. Because what we're doing is yelling at a people who don't understand us, live by our set of rules, and expecting them to toe the line when we have enough trouble ourselves doing it. So the answer is not to get a microphone and a platform and yell that we're being attacked, Christianity is being attacked. Guess what? Since day one, Christianity has been under attack. If you don't read that in Scripture, then you're reading the wrong, wrong Bible. Christianity was hung on a cross to die. But guess what? Next week, we're going to find out they may have tried something, but they couldn't do it. You cannot kill Christianity because you cannot kill Christ. I about got fired up right there. <laughs> but what Jesus really needs us to do is stop judging people on, based on their brokenness and love some people in a place where they don't deserve it. Why? Because that's what he did to us. It changes everything if we would start seeking after what he says instead of what we think is right or wrong. Because I know what's right or wrong based on what I've read, but I can't convince somebody that doesn't believe in him. We'll get to that. Sorry, I'm cutting all of my sermon now. Relationship from judge and accused to brothers. Accusation shifting now to a mindset of accountability. We see this in John 8, 1 and 11. It is one of my favorite stories. I reference this quite often. But when they bring the adulteress to Jesus, caught in the act, the judges of that day have caught her in the act, said, yep, she has sinned. Right here it says, don't do this. We caught her doing this. We're going to bring her to Jesus. And, and he's been talking about love and grace and all of this. He's been the hippie child, and we're going to bring her because she should be stoned right here. This is it. All right, Jesus, what do you say we do? In typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't get on Instagram or Facebook and belittle this woman. He doesn't sign her death certificate. He doesn't even call her adulteress. He said, wow, we got a lot of church people here today. Okay. A lot of judges. Well, there can only be one judge. So in order to get rid of the judges... Maybe I've got to show them how it feels to be judged. Mm, let me just write this in here. Used to shake his booty at Peabody's. <laughs> well, I'm out. <laughs> I didn't say who else is going with me. Y'all can stay in your seat. I own that one. But as he began to ride in the sand, and I've heard... People say that they know what he was writing. We don't know what he was writing. Realistically, you can say a lot of things. He was probably writing scripture because that's what he did. He never just said some stuff. He was bringing to their remembrance what they had done. So he was probably writing a passage in there that included some sins that he knew that they had. And the moment he started, well, take that scripture. Okay, yeah, that one says she's wrong. And he, he probably used that one first to really reel them in, right? Oh, well, you commit adultery, that's death. Yeah, Jesus is on our side, right? And then he probably continued with the next line, which was five or ten of them sitting right there like, oh. Ugh. There was a comma after that, not a period. Well, I'm out. And as he begins to write and continues to write, we just see people begin to leave. And eventually, a woman had a, who had a group of judges, when he got done, he stood up in typical Jesus fashion looked up and said, oh, where are thine accusers? Where are your judges? Where are those who caught you in the act? Where are those who can prove what you've done? And the woman looks. 
because she still has the shame and disappointment because she knows what she did. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. See, that's the difference in judgment and accountability. Jesus had every right in that moment to condemn her. If there was anybody on earth who condemned her, it was him. The one who knew no sin, no matter how much the world wants to tell you he was sleeping around with Mary Magdalene. Don't believe that mess. They're doing everything they can to attempt to humanize Jesus Christ. Because I can, I can get you humanized and I can convince you that, well, the disciples stole him out of the grave and Mary Magdalene just signed off on that because that was her lover and she wanted everybody to love him. Get out of here with that mess. You know how I know that? Because he's done things in my life I don't deserve. I've seen healings occur. There ain't no carpenter out of Nazareth that hung out and slept around with Mary Magdalene that could do that. Because that undoes everything he said he came to do. And I continue to see the results of what he came to do. So don't try to tell me any different. And if you don't know him in that way, you better go meet him. So the only one that could judge her and condemn her chooses not to. Why? Because I have purpose for you. I convict you. I'm going to tell you what you did was wrong, even though you already know it. But by convicting you, I'm inviting you to be different. This is the problem with judging for us. People who don't know him, we want to go and say, well, the word says this. I don't believe any of that word, so why should I all of a sudden start believing what you're telling me is right or was wrong? Because you do not have the ability to lead someone into all truth. You ain't the Holy Spirit. Taking that job away from you today, too. You can't be judge. You can't be the Holy Spirit. There is a broken mindset today that because you have the Spirit of God in you, that you have somehow achieved this place in life that I am God. No, you're not. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit in you says you're not because you still need to be led in all truth. You still need to be convicted in some areas. You still need to repent in some areas. If you didn't, you wouldn't need him. Somebody better hear that today. Somebody online, not in here. A lot of this preaching, I just preach to the online people because you people are right here with me. But there is a statement at the end of that. Even in that moment of removing the penalty of death, there is a requirement. Go and sin no more. Don't continue to walk in the ways of death. I've given you life. But it requires a response. Too many people come into church feeling bad because they got caught in their sin. And they don't need anybody to accuse them because they're accusing themselves. And they can't ever walk away from the accusers. So they're stuck in this place and they don't ever go and sin no more because they just, well, this is who I am. I... I hear this a lot, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know what? The moment you say that over yourself, you just give an authority to sin. Because your sins become your identifier. Chew on that one. I talk about that, I'm introvert. Your introvertedness, how has an authority over you? In this case, I'm an adulteress then that's all you'll ever be if that's what you define yourself by. But he said, that's not who you are. I removed your accusers. I didn't condemn you. Go and sin no more because that's who you are. But it was up to her to walk into her new identity and not be stuck in her old one. What old piece of you are you holding on to today because you can't walk into the authority of who he's called you to be? Doesn't mean you will get it right every day but it means your desire is to keep walking towards him, not away from him. Next thing he begins to talk, I want to talk about this, accountability. Accountability requires an account, which requires a conversation. You can accuse somebody without talking to them. And if you accuse somebody and they ain't even in the room, guess what, that's gossip. 
going to let that one marinate a little bit. Because it's something we don't talk about in church a lot. Gossip is a disease, a bitter root that is killing the accountability of the church. Because we don't know how to go to somebody and hold them accountable. We want to go to their parents, their friends, their wife, whoever, somebody, the elder in the church, whoever, and try to hold them accountable when we never went to them one-on-one. Why? Because that would require a... Res- a- Devil, get behind me. That would require a relation and a conversation. And we would have to give them enough value to hear their account. Matthew 8, what do you say? If you have an offense with somebody, what's the first thing you're supposed to do? Go get their account. Not go give your account. Go talk to them. Go get their account. Then say go judge them. That's not what you're called to do. Called to be a brother. If my brother messes up today, I'm not calling my mom and dad and telling them on him. He's going to be the first one to get a phone call. Why? Because I have a respect and a love for him. And I want, this is the key, I want him to succeed. If I want you to succeed as a brother, then I'm going to do everything I can not to point out the, the speck in your eye, but to help you take it out. And that may require, as he said, to get this log out of mine first. Because if I got one shot to help you get the speck out, and I'm in here all halfway trying to help you out, and I can't see around the log of my eye, and I jam it further in your eye, I hurt you and I wound you because I couldn't take the time to get mine out, I've pushed you further away from a place that God wants to have you at. Look at the purpose of the church. You can look scripture after scripture. Hebrews 10.25. This is one we love to talk about, about not having church, but it's bigger. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's Hebrews 10.25. I know I get through scriptures a lot. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up not tearing down. Judgment tears down. Accountability builds up. If you don't have a heart to help somebody be built up, don't have a conversation with them. Go get yourself right. Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. You want to really read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 22. I'm not going to read it, but it talks about a culture of accountability. In all areas. I think this is the piece we miss of accountability in the church is because we don't have enough conversations. We know somebody on a Sunday, but we have zero connection to go meet them for Monday. Well, I don't really know about that person. I got my life group and I'll just talk to them. Gossip. I just got the pastor and I'll go talk to him. This is the hard part. Gossip. If you ain't talked to them yet, because you know what generally happens? God reveals it to a person who can have a difference in it. If you see something wrong in somebody, you have a call to go to that person. I believe that the Holy Spirit showed it to you. Because if you're the only one noticing and not changing, well, I'm going to go get a group of people on my side. You're only closing the door on accountability. Because I guarantee you go with an angry mob with torches, they're going to stay a monster. That's Frankenstein reference for you young kids. But I will tell you this. If you could go one-on-one with somebody and say, I just need to sit with you. Because here's what I see, but I want to know what you, I want to know your account. I want to know why you did what you did if it's towards me, if it's somebody, whatever it is, I value you enough to hear your side of the story. That word comes up time and time again when you begin to think about what Jesus came to do. Restore value to people. His people are valuable. And if we demean them, talk about them, tear them down with other people, we are undervaluing the body of Christ. We're undervaluing his people. And guess what? We are going to have to own up to that one day. 
This has been talked about over this church, over Morgan and I. Church hurt is real. And when you talk to pastor about that, well, you know, that's just people got their feelings hurt. They should have been preached at that hard. Okay, you're not going to reach those people. That's fine. I know people have been hurt. And then I've had people say, well, church hurt is not, it's not church hurt. It's people hurting people. Yes, it is people hurting people. It's just people who should have known better. Because the church is people. The body of Christ is people. Broken people who should be getting better. But if we're not, guess what? Hurt people, hurt people. It doesn't matter what authority or governance you think you're doing it under. If you're judging, I can assure you there will never be any building up or encouragement. That's what Jesus is separating to. I don't need you to be a judge. I don't need you to be the Holy Spirit. I need you to be a brother. Because if I can link your heart to theirs and realize that we're all doing this together, and even though you're a step or two ahead of them, or maybe you're a step or two behind them, if there's a conversation of accountability, you can come together, you can hear their heart, they can hear your heart, and then together you can realize, wow, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal what's right and what's actually wrong. And the invitation will be to walk together in that process. I want to share the last piece of this. And if you'd put this scripture up, Matthew 7, verse 6. I could preach four hours on this, but I won't. Because I think this is the piece. Once we get the accountability piece within the church, within the body of Christ... We have to realize that you cannot hold people who are not in the body of Christ accountable. It's quiet in here. And if you're telling them what they're doing wrong and you don't have a relationship to hear their account, you're judging them. Matthew 7 Verse 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Leave that one up there. I'm going to say this real quick. Don't use this scripture as a witnessing tool. Because I can assure you, if you go to somebody and say, you're nothing but a dog and I ain't going to give you what's holy. And I know you're a pig, so I ain't trying to give you my pearls. I'm just going to hold on to it. But one day, God's going to heal your heart, and you won't be a pig or a dog no more. I can see if I shared this scripture with Emma, Emma's just going to say what, the, what she says, and she'd be like, you know, my dad said that I don't need to preach to you because you're a dog and a, a pig. I need you to understand the heart of what I'm about to say. What is he saying? What is the most valuable thing to a pig? The slop that he eats and the mud that he sleeps in. That's the value and the currency of what they want. Their emotions. A pig doesn't need much. It needs something in its belly. And when it gets hot, it needs to be in the cold, nasty mud. It don't care how nasty it is. It has zero requirements on what it looks like, tastes like. They just need to be comfortable. You need to understand that the world is comfortable in what they know, what they feel, what is valuable to them. And you aren't going to change their mind with your words. And the moment we start preaching at them on a corner, this blows my mind that preachers have missed this part of the word. Every one of us delete portions of the word we just don't know, we don't dive into, or we take one thing and preach it, like we preached that scripture at the beginning of this, it's a tithing sermon. No, it's not. How does anybody out there yelling at broken, lost people miss this piece of it? Because you're wasting your breath, and what you're really doing is telling a pig, you're a pig, you're disgusting, you're sloppy, you'll never be any better than this unless you become me, and yell, 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 scream, 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 and all you're doing is resorting them to a life of mud and squalor. What if you 
like Jesus, started living your life to a level that you gave love, grace, and mercy in every moment, no matter who was with you. There was not, you've got to be this tall to ride the ride. There was not, I've got to get this in return to get it. It was just freely given what we've been freely given. Peter, when he went to heal the, the lame man, he was wanting silver and gold. He says, silver and gold have I none, but such that I have, I give to you. Why aren't we giving more? Because we don't have more to give. When you give judgment, you're not giving love, grace, and mercy. You're assigning them to a place. You're condemning them to always be a pig and a dog. What the scripture is not saying is, that's all they'll ever be, so don't try to do anything different. True accountability requires the Holy Spirit. You can go read in John 14 through 16. There's a couple of things. The spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit. Spirit of truth cannot be received by the world, but can be witnessed through our actions. We as believers have the ability to walk in the truth of the Holy Spirit. Live our lives differently because of what the Holy Spirit does in us. Holy Spirit will convict the world. It is not our job because we are not equipped. See, it's the one piece we didn't have. When Adam and Eve took the knowledge of good and evil, they took the knowledge of good and evil, but they lacked the life. When God convicts you, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it's attached to life, not an assessment of your death. Our knowledge is based on death, what we know and what we don't. Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. This is John 14, 17 for the first one. John 16, 8 for the second one. John 16, 13. Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And this jumped off the page at me. If the Holy Spirit does not speak in authority, then why do we think we have to? Preach to myself this morning. That's what we've been dealing here is we've been telling everyone that's a Christian, you have an authority to go speak the word of God. But then in scripture, go read it, says the Holy Spirit does not have authority. He only speaks what he hears. In other words, you better be connected to something bigger than you. You want to operate differently? You better pray differently. You want to operate differently? You better read differently. Because I guarantee you're not as connected as you need to be. I'm pointing at me too. I'm all of us. If we're not operating differently, then it's because we're not tapped in the way we're supposed to. Because his divine will was to come live an example for us so that we could go live differently. So in moments of influence, which we all have, I heard a speaker say one time that every one of us have 12 people that we influence, whether you know it or not. If you do something, if you say something, people will respond. If you're a mother or father, your kids will respond. If you're a husband or wife, your husband or wife will respond. If you're a leader at work or if you're not, there's still people who respond to your voice. There's a group of people on Facebook that you influence. We all have been given a sphere of influence. The question is, what are we doing with it? And how much different would it be if we let him operate in it. What was Jesus saying? What he was doing is saying, you have the tendency to judge. That will be your response based on the brokenness that you see. 
That will be your response based on the healing that you accrued in your life. And when you compare yourselves, I know you're trying to do something good. I know you're trying to bring somebody in, but all you're doing is really letting them know who they are, make an assessment of their character and pushing them further away from the one who could really lead them into all truth. He said, I need your life to be a gateway to me. Judgment, brother. That's the invitation today. You would all stand. Let you stand up in your in your shame or conviction. I've got to stand in mine the whole time. I didn't have to sit in it, so I'll let you stand up and shake it off a little bit. We're all guilty. That's the first thing you've got to realize. No matter who you are today, we've all been guilty. How does it start? Through relationships. First within the church, you have a relationship with church people. I recently talked to a man and I've shared this story here before, but one time when my buddy Jay and I went home, Jay's a black man, and his, our connection grew deeper, I saw the hurt and pain that can come from that other side of the aisle. We were introduced to a pastor back home. That man shook my hand and wouldn't even look twice at Jay. The only thing different about us was the color of our skin. We we're both ordained pastors, but I witnessed it. And I was telling this story to a man where we were in Israel, and he said, did you hold that pastor accountable? I said, no, I didn't. He said, see, that's the problem. I said, no, it's not. Because I had no accountability with him. Just because he's a Christian doesn't mean I have a relationship with him. What I did do is I go home and I sat with my dad at the table and I said, dad, did you see that? Because I know you have a relationship with him. I leave that in your court. See, accountability comes with relationship. As we increase our relationships within the body of Christ, it opens a door for us to be held accountable. I tell every one of you all the time, if I'm doing something wrong, you better hold me accountable. I believe we have a relationship like that. If you don't, come talk to me and we need to establish one. If you don't have that in your home where your spouse can hold you accountable, that's your first place. If you're a man in your home and my wife is going to tell me what to do, you better submit yourself to the Holy Spirit because that is a lie from the pit of hell and the one person that's been put in your life to help you grow and edify you and build you up, you are rejecting. And if they're not doing that with that right spirit, then they are listening to the wrong voice. Sorry, it just got real real quick, didn't it? I'm tired of seeing this in the body of Christ because I know the sphere of influence that we have together. When you take a lot of little ripples and you put them together, you get a big splash. I'm ready for the church to splash love, grace, and mercy all over everybody because the moment they feel that, experience that, see it in the genuineness of God, suddenly those pigs are going to begin to see what's valuable and what's not. How do I know that? Because I was a pig. And I have zero desire to go back to the pit that I came from. Because I realize that my value lies in the image I've been created in. And I want everybody else that's been created in that image to understand the value they've been created in. That's when we begin to remove the authority from the accuser. From the judge that cannot judge. From the liar who does not know the truth and only desires for us to be stuck forever wallowing in his mess. I wanna challenge you today. Put the two second rule in your life. Maybe more for some of you. When you're about to say something, stop yourself and say, should I say this? When you're about to send that text or that Facebook post, say stop and should I send this? If you got the Holy Spirit, 
You've got to give him a tether to keep you accountable. Should I say this to my spouse? Or should I ask their account? I don't know what drove that shooter in Nashville to do it. We'll never know. What I do believe, though, is there was somebody that was not listening. That the voices in her life that should have been there for her looked more like this than this. That people were offended by the choices she was making. choose not to be offended because Jesus wasn't offended even by the ones who hung him on the cross he said forgive them for they know not what they do that's the nicer way of saying forgive them for they're just pigs are you willing to forgive somebody today who's wronged you because they really didn't know what they did or why they did it the moment that happens, your prayer life changes. Your reading changes. And your life begins to change. That's the moment we begin to dismiss the accusers. Father, we thank you today for this word, for this timely word. I pray that we would be a difference in this. That we'd realize that Actions speak louder than words. That as we're drawn into your presence and the invitation of relationship with you, it should change us, it should challenge us so that we can be difference makers in the places we're called to. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, Lord, to hear your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.